Earlier on, Liz read to us from Matthew 5, verses 1 to 16. So if you have your Bibles with you, could you keep them open? Because I'd like to continue reading a few more verses. As this morning, I want to share some thoughts with you on what Jesus spoke about when he said that he came to fulfill the law. Jesus says, verse 17, this is what Jesus said to the crowd. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of, one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches those commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And I'll stop there for the moment. That's as far as I will read. And I want to suggest to you that those were probably some of the most discouraging words that should have ever left the lips of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you why. You see, if Israel had a problem, it was long ago in their history, God had given them a law. You remember in Exodus, we read about Moses going up to Mount Sinai, where he stayed for 40 days, and it was there that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And ever since then, Moses came down from the mountain with the tablets. You could write one word across the history of Israel, and that word is failure. The historical books of the Old Testament record details of this failure. The poetic books of the Old Testament weep and mourn for that failure. The prophetic, book, the prophetic books preached about the failure of Israel to keep God's law. You see, whatever they did, God's people were not able to live up to the demands of the law. Then Jesus arrives on the scene with the good news. And that's what the gospel means, the good news. And as I was reading this, I was thinking that I could imagine the conversations that people were having as they were walking up this hill. They were probably saying things like, like we do, I wonder what the good news is going to be. I wonder what this good news Jesus has for us is going to be. One person might have said, maybe God is going to soften a little bit. Maybe God is not going to be so hard on us all our lives. We tried so hard to please him and we failed miserably. Maybe God is going to be a little bit easier on us. Somebody else might have said, actually, I think you might be right. Maybe after today, instead of Ten Commandments, we'll only have six. God might ditch a few. We just can't keep them. Maybe it'll it, it go down to six or five. And I'll tell you why I said that. 
Because if we look at verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the laws or the prophets. In other words, Jesus must have said, Ladies and gentlemen, please do not think that I have come from heaven as an apology for the law. I have not come to make the law easier for you to obey them. I have not come to make your lives easier. What I have come to do, I have come to fulfill them. And that is what I'd like to look at this morning under the overall theme of the way of perfection. And I just want to uh, uh, draw your attention to a few things under three main headings. One, the purpose of the law. Why did God give a law in the first place? Why did God give a law, Ten Commandments, to people that they have not ever been able to keep? Secondly, I want to look at the effect of the law, what the law actually does for us. And thirdly, the exciting bit, the fulfillment of the law. What did Jesus mean when he said, I have come to fulfill the law? What does it mean? How is it going to work? If, they're not, if he's not going to make it easier, how is he going to fulfill the law? So the first thing I'd like to look at is the purpose of the law. Now, why did God give these laws? Why did God give a set of requirements that was so impossible to keep, so hard, so difficult? You know, you look at the Ten Commandments and you think, there's no way I could keep that. Why did God give such a hard law? Now, I know most of you sort of reasonably well from seeing you in church every Sunday. And I'm sure I can walk up to any one of you and look you in the eyes and say, you have broken God's law. And you probably think, you probably, you know, shrug your shoulders, you wouldn't get upset with me, you wouldn't punch me in the nose, you wouldn't you know, go hot under the collar. You probably look straight back at me right in the eyes and say, well, so have you. Because you see, God gave such laws that we know nobody, no man, no woman, no one has ever been able to keep those laws. So that raises a very important question. Why? Did God give us a law that no one is able to keep? Now, some of you I know uh, in uh, positions of authority at work, or even in your own families, you make rules, don't you? You make rules that people have to comply with so that there's order wherever you may be. But when you make a law, you do not make a law that is so impossible to keep that nobody can keep it. Is that a good law? If you make rules that nobody can keep, is that a good rule? That's not a good rule, is it? Have to make rules that people can keep. So, the question is, why did God give those Ten Commandments? Where did he get them from? Did he pull them out of a hat? Did he flip a coin? You know, did he dream them up? Why did God give those Ten Commandments? Now, to answer that question, I'd like to compare two verses of Scripture in the New Testament. 
The first one is from 1 John 3, 4. The second one from Romans 3, 3.23, both of which describes what sin is. But before we look at these, let me see if I can define sin for you. What does sin mean? Sin literally means to miss the mark. You see, that term was initially first used in archery. You see, if you fired an arrow, there was a target, you fired an arrow. If you missed the target by a millimeter, you missed the target. If you missed miss the target by a meter, you missed the target. If you missed the target by 10 meters, you missed the target. If you turn around and fire in the opposite direction, you missed the target. You see, sin is missing the target. That's where the term comes from. Missing the target. And you see, this leaves me to, to say, sin, very important statement. It didn't matter how much you missed the target by, in archery, that was called sin. If it was just that bit, or that bit, or all round, you miss the target. You see, sin is not the measurement of how bad we are. Sin is the measurement of how good we are not, if you understand what the difference is. It means we've missed the mark. You see, if you're running for a bus, and you miss the bus by two minutes, one minute, you've missed the bus. If you miss the bus by 20 minutes, you've missed the bus. If you miss the bus by a day, you know, in some villages, one bus a day. If you were late, 20, if you were late 23 hours and 55 minutes, you've missed the bus. But wait another five minutes, you get tomorrow's. The fact is you, don't, you miss the bus. You don't congratulate yourself when you're standing there in frustration and say, oh goody, I've only missed the bus by one minute. You've missed the bus. You've missed the mark. So it's not sin, it's not a measurement of how bad we are, it's of how good we are not. We've missed the mark. Doesn't matter what the sin is. Doesn't matter how bad it is. You see, we are the ones who put a measurement on sin but God doesn't. The fact is, we've missed the mark. And what this means is that sin is not absolute. What is absolute is the mark that we miss, not how far we've missed it. That's not absolute, but the target, what we've missed. So let's look, take a look at these uh, two passages of Scripture and if, see if we can understand what sin, the effect of sin is. If we look at 1 John 3.14, what it says in 1 John 3.14 is that John says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. So, everyone who sins breaks the law. So whenever you sin, we know what you've done. You've broken the law. 
you've broken the law of God. See, the law of God represents the target. When we sin, we've broken the law. When we sin, we've missed the target. The law of God is the target. So we've missed, missed the mark. Now try and stay here with me because I'm going to compare it to another passage of scripture. In Romans 3.23, Paul says, now I know a lot of you know this one. All have sinned and what? Wakey, wakey. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Paul says, when we sin, what happens? We fall short of the glory of God. John says, when we sin, we break the law. Paul says, when we sin, we fall short of the glory of God. So Paul says the target is the glory of God. John says the target is the law of God. So by deduction, we can say the law of God equals the glory of God. Are you following me? The law of God equals the glory of God. When we compare these two passages of scripture, when we sin, what happens? We break the law, John says. Paul says we've fallen short of the glory of God. You see, if, if my arm is the glory of God, when we sin, we fall short. We don't meet it. That's the target. What is the glory of God? That brings us to the next question. What is the glory of God? Now, you, you quite often hear the word glory being used as someone dies and goes home to glory. You know, we, we hear the word being used in different places and different times. But the true biblical meaning of the word, and I quote from Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament words, so it sounds authoritative, and you don't think I've made it up, it says the glory of God is the character of God. The glory of God is the character of God. So the law of God equals the character of God. So when we sin, we fall short of the character of God. We fall short of the glory of God. See, John 1, 14 says, the word became flesh and we saw the glory of God. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. You see, when Jesus came to earth and he lived on earth, we saw God's glory. We saw what God was like. Now, you could have just imagined Jesus growing up as a little, a little boy, kicking a ball around the, you know, the, the village, playing with his friends. What he did, we saw the glory or the character of God. We saw who God was. When, as he grew up and became a teenager, we saw what he was like, how he acted, how he reacted. When he worked in his father's workshop as a carpenter, what did he do? How did he act? You know, how did he uh, respond to someone phoning, getting in touch, I shouldn't say, getting in touch in the middle of the night to say, my roof has blown off my house. I need somebody to come and put it on. But as he said, well, wait till the morning and I'll come, you know, I'll come in and fix it then. What did he do? How did Jesus respond? When he began his public ministry, 
how we responded to people. Have you ever noticed when you read about uh, the things that Jesus did, how Jesus always touched lepers? Nobody did. Nobody wanted to go near them. Nobody wanted to, to, to be even in their presence. But Jesus touched lepers. That's what we saw. That is what the character of God is. Now, if that is true of Jesus, that should be true of us. You ask me, why do I say that? In Genesis, what did God say? He said, let us make man in our own image. So that therefore, if, if, and that's a moral image, if God made us in his image, moral image, then we ought to reflect his character because we were made in his image to reflect his character. We know the character of God. You see, you should be able to look at a human being and see in them what God is like. But what happened? That's how God made us. That's when he placed Adam in the garden. But what happened? Adam sinned. And since then, all the scripture says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ever since um, that time, everybody's been trying to do their best to please God, but we can't do it. See, so when the law was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai, it was given to reveal what God was like. So when God says, do not steal, it is not just because stealing is bad, which we know it is. It's because God doesn't steal. That's his character. When he says, do not commit murder, it's because God does not commit murder. Yes, he has the power over life and death, but he doesn't commit murder. When he says, honor your father and your mother, it's because Jesus said, I always do the things that please my father. There is unity there. When he says, do not covet, it's because God is not greedy. This is the character of God. When he says, do not commit adultery, God did not pull these ten things out of a hat just to make our lives miserable. This is to reflect the character of God. When he says, do not commit adultery, it's because God is totally faithful to us. He is a faithful God. When he says, uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, have a rest day, it's, not, it's because God rested on the seventh day. God rested on the seventh day, not because he was tired, because he rested. The work was done and God rested on the seventh day. See, Adam was created on the sixth day. Good day to be created. What's happening tomorrow? Day off. Why did Adam have a day off on his first day? And you see, this is because symbolism is important. 
See, God rested because he was finished. And human beings begin with rest in the utter sufficiency of God. So we need to rest. God rested. So we were given those commandments so we could see who God was like. That is the purpose of the law. See, the law was not given to help people manage their lives better. And God did not give us this so that we, he can punish us. The law was given so that we can see what God was like. The law is very profound in that the law is the revelation of the character of God. The law is the revelation of the character, who God is. So he gave us the commandment so we could reflect his character. Not that we can have miserable lives. Oh, I can't do that. I can't live like that. Now, at the end of the chapter, it says, be perfect. How perfect? Can you imagine the crowds listening to that? Jesus is saying at the end, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. How do you think the crowds acted, reacted? That was a good sermon. I think I'll buy the tape. I think I'll get the CD. I think I'll wait till Matthew writes the book and I'll get a copy of it. I'll go and download it on the iPod when I get home. No, the scripture says the crowds were amazed, amazed at what Jesus was telling them. The purpose of the law is to reveal who he is. So if the purpose of the law was to reveal the character of God, the effect of the law is to reveal the failure of humanity. You see, when Moses came down from the mountain with the tablets of stone, he was totally shocked what was happening. The people had gathered up all the gold, they had made a graven image, and they were bound down and worshipping this image. And Moses was cross, he was shocked. He threw the tablets down on the, on the ground and it broke. See, Moses was shocked. The first two commandments was, you shall have no other gods before me, you shall make unto me no graven image. Do not make graven images. Do not worship any other gods before me. The first two commandments, they were breaking. Moses was shocked, but God wasn't. Because you see, that day, humanity learned something about themselves. God didn't learn anything new about humanity. He knew what we were like. But, hum but human beings learned something about themselves that day. Because they learned that no matter how hard I try, I cannot keep God's law. I cannot reflect the character of God. This is why later on in the scripture, Jesus rubbed in a few more points, you see. Because before the law came, you could be up to your neck in sin and you wouldn't know. You'd be, you could be enjoying yourself with a clear conscience. You see, the law did not make us sin. The law exposed us as sinners. That's what's the effect of the law. It exposed it. It showed us that we were not reflecting the character of God and we could not, no matter how hard we try. 
Jesus went on to, uh, to talk a bit more about the commandments. If you read uh, Matthew 5, you'll see Jesus goes on to talk a bit more. You know, he says, you've heard the law, it says, do not kill. And everybody says, yeah, that's a good law. We keep that law. I don't kill anybody. But Jesus went on to say, if you are angry with your brother, that's a sin. He went on to say, you know, you've heard it say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, turn the other cheek. Jesus goes on to say, love your enemies and pray for those who use you. And can you imagine for the first time, the crowds listening, they're probably thinking, wow, this is not good news. This is terrible news. As it is, we can't even keep the Ten Commandments as it is. No, Jesus wants us to do even more than that. This is totally unfair. We can't do that. We can't live like that. It's bad enough not being able to make it. But you see, what Jesus was pointing out to them, he was backing them up against a wall, saying, it's not just the activity. Now you're going to say, oh, well, no, I don't kill. I don't steal. No. But Jesus went on to say, it's the attitude. Do we hate our brother? You know, you may not have the courage to go on and, and put a knife in their back and commit the act, but just the attitude, the disposition, the anger. And before Jesus told them the good news, you see, he had to tell them what the bad news was. The bad news is we can't keep the law of God, no matter how hard we try. You know, it's like going to the doctor. I've spent, you know, many hours in the doctor's in a doctor's surgery. You know, what do you think will happen when, uh, if you just walked into the doctor's office and says, good morning, doctor, could I have a bottle of uh, st that strawberry flavor medicine you've got on the shelf there? He's going to say, I can't give you a bottle of strawberry medicine. Sit down. What's wrong with you? I think, what's wrong with this doctor? All I want is a bottle of that medicine. He said, no, sit down. What's wrong with you? See, the doctor needs to find out what's wrong with you. And then he'll proceed to ask you some very embarrassing questions that nobody will ever dream of asking you. And you might say something like, so how many times did you get up last night? You say, um. Or you might say, do you, do you get up in the night? And you say, yes. And he says, how often? And you say, last night, about 22. And he says, hmm. And he says, well, what color was it, anyway? And you think, hmm, purple. He says, hmm, that's interesting. And I said, okay, get up on the couch, let me examine you. And he'll come and he'll poke you on the side. And you go, ouch. And he says, does that hurt? And he said, yes, it does. And he'll get his, you know, stethoscope out and he'll put this cold instrument on you and you go, ouch. He said, is that cold? He said, yes. But see, what the doctor is trying to do, he's not 
trying to make you uncomfortable or give you extra grief. The doctor needs to find out what's wrong with you first before he can give you a remedy. And this is what Jesus was doing. He was demonstrating to the crowd how bad they were and how impossible. It wasn't good news, how impossible it was to keep the law. It wasn't good news, it was bad news. No matter how hard we try, we cannot reflect the character of God. But then the doctor might say, Oh, well, come and sit down. I would like to talk to you. And he says, I have some good news for you and I have some bad news for you. And you say, the bad news is you're sick. The good news is I've got a remedy, a bottle of pink medicine. <laughs> you see, the good news always begins with the bad news. And this is what Jesus was doing. Telling them the bad news first. This is what is required of you. God is not going to adjust the law to suit us because the law of God reflects the character of, the, of God. This is who God is. We have to meet that standard. God doesn't drop his standards to meet us. The law of God is the character of God. We saw that earlier. The law of God is the glory of God. Glory of God is the character of God. The effect of the law was to expose us as sinners. And the bad news is, no matter how hard we try, we cannot reflect the character of God. But the good news was, the good news is, Jesus said in my final point, I have come to fulfill the law. I have come to do what the law and you could not do. I have come to fulfill the law. What did Jesus mean when he said that? I'd just like to draw your attention to three passages of Scripture that explains this. In Colossians 1, 25 to 27, it says, The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of of glory. So Paul tells us the only way we have any hope of, ref of reflecting the character of God is Christ in you. That's what Paul was talking about. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Glory of God means meaning the character of God. Christ, our only hope of hitting the target our only hope of hitting the target. In Jeremiah 31, 33, the prophets wrote, this is what Jesus promised and told the prophets before Jesus, so this is what God told the prophets before Jesus came. Jesus, God promised a plan of redemption for mankind because he knew we would no way would be able to reflect his character. God had a plan of redemption for his people, so we could be re reconciled. This is what he says to Jeremiah. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will put the law in their minds and write it in their hearts. You see, God was not changing the law. He was just rewriting it in a different place. 
is no longer going to be on tablets of stone that only showed us up as failures and impossibility to actually meet them. He was rewriting them from the tablets of stone into our hearts through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. And one more passage of scripture, Ezekiel 37, 27, I will put my spirit in you. See, up until Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was not heard of. Ezekiel 37, before Jesus came, God was saying to the prophet, I will put my spirit in you. Can you imagine? They would have had no comprehension of what the Holy Spirit was. Because up until Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was not about, was not available. No one knew what the Holy Spirit was going to be like. But God promised this to the prophets, to his people, to the Israelites, because they couldn't keep his law. He said, okay, this is the character of God. This is my law. This is how you have to act to reflect my character. You can't do it. So I'll find a way so that you can. This is the promises that he made. Under the new covenant, he says, I will put Christ in you and my Holy Spirit. Christ living in us is our only hope of glory. See, in Romans 8, chapter 3, Paul says, what the law was powerless to do in that it couldn't change us. All the law told, tells us is how good we're not because we're not meeting the mark. But Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit does it. See, all the commands of the Old Testament under the Old Covenant has now changed with the gift of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. The commandments has now changed. Now I shall make a very profound statement and I'll try to explain it very quickly as we're running out of time. With the gift of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, what was once a command under the old covenant, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do that, is now going to be a promise under the new covenant. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit in us, that's how we do it. Because in our own strength, we, can, we can't. You see, the law only condemned us. The law only showed us up, that we were failures. But what the law couldn't do, do for us. Jesus Christ did the sacrifice on the cross. See, Jesus puts a whole new desire in our hearts, good news of the gospel. See, that's what the good news is. That is the news Jesus was going to tell them. He was not expanding on the law to tell them, look, yes, not just can do you kill, but you can't hate as well. That was not the good news. That was the bad news. What he had to tell them, bad news first. The good news is, you have a hope. With my death on the cross and with the Holy, gift of the Holy Spirit, you can. See, that's the gospel. The gospel is not desperately trying to, us to get into heaven. The gospel is trying to get the heaven, heaven into us so that we reflect the character of God. You see, what was an 
a command on the Old Testament, is now a promise. So when you read the, the commandments, it used to say, thou shalt, not thou shalt not steal. But under the new covenant is a promise, you will not steal. Under the old covenant is, thou shalt not kill. It was a command. It would show us up as failure. But under the new covenant, with Jesus in us, our hope of glory, with the Holy Spirit's guidance, it reads, you will not commit murder. You, you won't. You will not. Because the Holy Spirit does it. You see, so when you read the, old, the Ten Commandments and you say, right, no, I shall have no other gods, and you say, Lord, I'll really try my best. I'll really try hard to keep the commandments. You don't have to say that anymore. We can say, thank you, Jesus. Because this, this is not what you require of me. This is what you're promising to do in me. See, what was a command has now become a promise. I will do this work, not you. You don't have to do the work. I will do it now in you. So commandments become promises. So you have a problem with stealing? I have an answer. It was a command in the Old Testament. You'd find it in Exodus 20. Thou shalt not steal. But now it becomes a promise. With Christ in us, it's a promise. You will not steal. You won't. You just won't. Because the Holy Spirit in us and Christ in us does the work. That was the good news. That is the fulfillment of the law. That is our hope of getting to not missing the target. Christ in us, the Holy Spirit in us. Sometimes I think we don't really appreciate, you see, the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of Jesus in us. It is there so that we can reflect the character of God. You see, we are so busy complaining about how bad everybody is. But God is not interested in how bad we are. He's only interested in how good we're not. How can he get us to make them our so you might be saying to be well, the last bit Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Will we ever be perfect in this life? I don't think so. I think we'll only be perfect when we're fully glorified. But in Corinthians, Paul says, in the book of Corinthians we read, Paul writes and he says, we are being transformed. We are being glorified every day through Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit who is doing the work in us. A couple of weeks ago, Christine spoke about this as well. It's the Spirit in us who does the work. It's Jesus Christ in us who does the work. He's the one that helps us to hit the target so that we don't fall short of the glory of God or the character of God. That is our hope. You see, so when you go to bed tonight and, uh, and you lie there and you think, I'm not going to complain about how miserable you know, Margaret was or Pat was. What I'm going to say is, thank you, God. Thank you for Pat. Thank you for Alice. Thank you for Linda. Thank you for Liz. Thank you for Sally. Thank you for them. Because today, I saw a little bit of you in them, in the way they smiled at me, in the way they said hello, in the way they talked. I saw your character. 
I saw you. I saw Christ in them. I saw your Holy Spirit in them. Now, we will never be perfect on this earth. But one day, I have good news for you. We will be glorified. Paul says this. We are being transformed. You have, don't have a choice about it, I'm afraid. You're being made perfect. You're not got a choice about it because God works in us through Jesus Christ and His Spirit. We don't have to work so hard anymore because it's not a command anymore. It's a promise. With Christ in us and the Holy Spirit, it is a promise. You will not steal. You have problems with your priorities. It used to be a command under the Old Testament. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. But it's no longer a command. It's, you will have no other gods before me. Simply because you won't. Because Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in us makes a difference. Will make the difference. So we don't have to work so hard. Jesus is changing us. He is making us like him every day. Every day we're getting closer and closer, closer. And we're missing the target. We're not missing the target because Jesus Christ in us, the Holy Spirit in us, causes that to happen. So be encouraged. We don't have to try so hard. There's a spirit and God that does the work in us to make us like him make us perfect.